1998, Independence Day director Roland Emmerich Americanized this iconic Japanese monster with state-of-the-art CGI in this big-budget Hollywood blockbuster starring Matthew Broderick, Godzilla. What did you see, old man? Godzilla. 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 Calling all podcasters. Calling all podcasters. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special bulletin. We're reporting live from the We Can Make This Work, probably podcast network. We are receiving reports of, well... What can only be described as a gigantic ape rampaging through the streets of New York City. Wait. No, wait. This just in. According to our overseas correspondents, there's been a confirmed sighting of a massive reptilian creature off the coast of Japan. Oh, the humanity. If you have any information regarding these two Goliath monsters or their film franchises, please record on your dictaphone and post or telegraph your audio transmission to us at probablywork.com. Please, please hurry. Time is running out. We've just been told that the mayor is evacuating the city and the president dispatching military forces. I don't know how to describe what I'm looking at, dear listeners. They appear to be squaring off. Oh, oh, jeez. This is it, people. The battle of the century. It's Zilla versus Kong. A fire-breathing lizard takes on the giant angry ape. In this, a no-holds-barred clash between the king of the monsters and the titan of Skull Island. Who will come out on top? Why are they fighting? How did that monkey get so big? Find out on the latest season of Podcasters Symbol, Kongzillathon. Podcasters, assemble! This is Chris from the Comic Zombie Podcast. This is Troidal Power from the Power Playthroughs Podcast. Hi, this is Justin Aki, graphic designer and one half of Significant Otter Co. Yo, this is Corey from The World Is My Burrito. Hello, I'm Stephen White. I am the co-host of the Super Mega Crash Brothers Turbo Podcast. Eric Slater here from Epic Fails of History and Too Young for this trek. Hello, this is MC from the best animated shows ever, so far. Hello, I'm Robert Kelly, host and writer of Record All Monsters. We are talking about Godzilla 1998. The U.S. Godzilla film from 1998. Godzilla 98. Oh, man, I've been dreading this one. Come with me. Do, 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 do. And let's talk about 1998's Godzilla. So, basically, after driving themselves into the ground with the Godzilla franchise, Henry G. Saperstein approached Toho about making a movie back in 92 and Toho was all over it because Godzilla in the 60s and 70s had kind of gone dry and uh, like 84, 89, 90, 91 they had developed this very particular rut where they would spend a certain amount on a movie and basically make the a certain amount on a Godzilla movie and this wasn't going anywhere so they were super hype about the possibility of getting America in on this because, hey, it's America, the largest film industry, and it would be the freshest flavor for the Godzilla franchise. So we go from like the, you know, uh, 
trend-setting and, and, and game-changing King Kong to uh, probably the, the mother of all 50s monster movies in Gojira. <sighs> now we come to maybe the bottom of the barrel when it comes to um, big monster movies. This movie, it's a good movie. Oh, it's bad. It's impossibly bad. So thinking back, this might actually have been my first exposure to Godzilla. It's a terrible Godzilla movie, but it's a good 1990s movie overall. I don't know if I saw this movie in theaters. I believe my first time seeing this film was in theaters when I was 11 years old. I first saw this in theaters as a kid. Think back to the summer of 1997. You're going to turn five in a few months. It's the 4th of July weekend, and you're going to the movies with your family. But I definitely saw it around when it came out, and I think that was due in large part to um, marketing for it. I think it was Taco Bell that it had a tie-in with. I have to admit up front that I got caught up in the hype to this movie. The 90s were an amazing time for action sci-fi popcorn movies. The Will Smith classic Men in Black has just been released, and you couldn't be more excited. You love The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which you watch in syndication after school at your grandma's house. And this summer movie season has already been packed with treats for you, specifically. How 90s is it? Every time they go to a different location, they put some sort of dumb techno-font on screen with the sound of, like, I don't know, con- computer-generated type, like hacker stuff? It's so dumb. This one in particular had an insane marketing campaign complete with the Taco Bell sweepstakes, toys, a cartoon, and even a Puff Daddy music video. There was uh, a very quiet campaign going on. This was pre-internet, so, you know, you had Entertainment Weekly magazines where you'd kind of keep up with certain things going on in the news. I heard that there was a Godzilla movie coming. I didn't know when it was coming out or, or anything like that. I had seen... Uh, that the creators of Independence Day were behind it. So I had some interest in it because it's Godzilla, and I love Godzilla up to this point in time. This is like the fifth, sixth time I've seen this film. It's one of those things we get occasionally from Blockbuster every once in a while. I think it was on television at one point. The marketing on this was super clever because they went out of their way to not show Godzilla. The poster just showed his foot. And I got hyped. Back in May, the Lost World Jurassic Park was a fun but pretty scary experience. I remember being freaked out by this movie when I first saw it. That's the big thing. It, it was it was scary to little Troy. I mean, this would have come out when I was about nine years old. So you're sitting down, fighting with your sister over who gets to sit between mom and dad in case things get scary, and the trailers start rolling. A bunch of kids are in a museum, and there's a slow build to reveal the skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Cool, T-Rex, yeah. And as the museum guy drums on... The earth starts to shake. The security guard looks nervous and then crash, stomp, crunch. A great big monster foot smashes through the roof. It's the same size as the absolutely decimated T-Rex bones. It lifts away and you see a huge lizard-like tail swish through the museum's brand new sunroof. So, yeah, this is a pretty scary monster movie, and was my first monster movie. And in fact, up until the start of this project, this was the only Godzilla and or King Kong movie that I'd ever seen. Green text on the now black screen says, Guess who's coming to town? Slowly, the word Godzilla appears in slick-looking black text, outlined by a dangerous-looking lime green aura. A familiar screonk is heard, and the screen flashes. Memorial Day, 1998. Like, I was so excited for this movie. You're shaking, folks. Hell, I'm shaking, even remembering the excitement. So I got swept up in it 
big time. The tagline for the movie was, I kid you not, size does matter. When 1998 rolled around, all of a sudden, I wasn't so lonely. Let me explain. When I was three years old, my mom took me and my sisters to Hollywood Video. And as I walked down the aisles, looking for something to satisfy my dinosaur-obsessed child brain, I saw one of the most beautiful things I had encountered up to that point in my life. A VHS tape. The VHS tape. I couldn't read super well, but I could recognize the word God, like a good Catholic boy, and Z-I-L-L-A, Godzilla. Godzilla? Godzilla. It was a dinosaur fighting, holy crap, a robot dinosaur. For close to two years, I tried to share my discovery with my friends, who reacted with the full range of emotions, from indifference all the way up to not caring. Finally, the marketing blitz began, and Godzilla was everywhere. I was thrilled, and I wasn't alone. Not only were my friends into Godzilla now, too, but there were suddenly toys, books, and tapes of the movies that you could buy and keep. Not like at the rental store. The whole thing culminated for me the day the movie came out. It was Wednesday, May 20th, 1998. My dad picked me up from school early, with the local paper open on his truck's passenger seat, an article detailing the then 40-plus years of the Godzilla franchise faced up at me. I couldn't read well enough to get all of it, but I knew where we were going. I mean, there's obviously ones that the production values are way, way, way lower. And, you know, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster, some of those Toho Kong films. Yeah, they're worse, I guess. <laughs> I know this movie gets a lot of hate, and I'm not going to say that I don't have certain feelings about it or that I didn't have certain feelings about it at some point in time. My dad said I wasn't that thrilled with the movie, though I don't remember it that way. Not quite that way. But I have learned to appreciate it over time. I remember waiting for Godzilla to fight something, and I do remember not much liking that Godzilla died, but I was optimistic that the promised sequel would get it right. I don't view it as a typical Godzilla movie in the same regards to the other films in the series that come from Japan, even the newer American versions. I went through the whole hate thing for this movie when I was a teenager, but now when I think of this entry in the series, I don't think of the many things I don't like about it. I think of the year leading up to its release, and the community and camaraderie that grew up around me, and how for a few months in the late 90s, everyone was a Godzilla fan. But I do view it as a fun popcorn movie because there are some fun moments in it. It's a typical blockbuster from the 90s. Long and the short, a bunch of stuff happens, um, and it takes until 98 to release this film that we see. But for the money behind this thing, for it to look like it does and for it to be as poorly made as it is, is pretty inexcusable. It's really, I mean, just right from the get-go, it's pretty bad. Uh, it doesn't really give you much to hang on to. I kind of love the opening credits, cutting between uh, H-bomb test footage and various lizards, iguanas, and Komodo dragons. My wife and I also debated if the soundtrack to this movie was the best soundtrack of a film for the late 90s to early 2000s. Puff Daddy raps to the instrumentals of Led Zeppelin's Cashmere from 1975. But it turns out that Jimmy Page actually went back and re-recorded his guitar rift for the song. I, I kind of like the score a little bit. It's, it's 
not your traditional Godzilla themes, but I mean, it works. I think it has like four good songs in it. And I think that Spider-Man 2 soundtrack was a straight banger. The movie opens in a Japanese fishing boat and this the radar picks up like this blob and everyone freaks out like there's a blob. Just like the original, an industrial Japanese fishing ship is attacked. Would have been nice to have subtitles, maybe. I mean, I, I know it's just, you know, they're scared, but we have no idea like what's happening. What appear to be claws puncture through the hull and this giant tail smacks the bridge and the boat starts going down. You know, I can see what they tried to do. You know, as far as cold opens go, it's not that effective. I remember when I first saw this, uh, I wondered what worms had to do with Godzilla. Matthew Broderick, uh, also known as Nick Tetanopoulos. Matthew Broderick is so good in this movie. Tardigrade. Uh, Matthew Broderick annoyed me. I was five when this movie came out. Uh, we do a hard cut to Matthew Broderick's character singing in the in the car. He's singing in the rain as he's driving around at Chernobyl. Okay. My favorite character is definitely Ferris. Tata Apollo Tatan Tatanopoulos. Ta- he he's just he plays the nerdy scientist that's here to deal with natural disaster so dang well. You know, Matthew Broderick is not exactly the person I would say is the action star. And then also somehow becomes an action hero by the end of the movie. Matthew Broderick already annoyed me. Without ever really breaking character. Like, he never does any action hero stuff. But he's not supposed to be. He's supposed to be this scientist who, who's been working around radioactivity and, and studying the effects it has on other creatures like the worms uh, outside of Chernobyl. It just works. Uh, he sets up this weird-ass contraption, like shocks worms out of the ground. And um, it's just, I don't know, it's just really weird. And this helicopter shows up with American soldiers. They just, you know, I guess got to fly right into Ukraine and no problems. And we learn that his name is Nico Tatopoulos. Tattoo Necrosis Tata Metropolis? Ugh, okay, this is going to be like a recurring joke throughout the film that nobody can pronounce his name. Uh, for like the first, I don't know, six, seven scenes that he's in, almost every line he has starts with Tatopolis. Because everyone's like, Nico Papalopopolis. You know, and it's just... Uh, I mean, why? Tataopolis, that's it, that's it. Anywho, Nick Tartakowski. It actually starts out with Matthew Broderick's character looking at the size increase of worms near Chernobyl. The scientist studying radiation on mutated worms in Chernobyl when he's recruited by some military types to investigate something. So his his character is not meant to be the action star. Why is his name... Tatopolis. Not that there's a problem with it or Greek names, but like either just make it his name and just move on or make it something different. I mean, he doesn't, there's nothing Greek about his character. His name could easily be like Nick Harris and there would be absolutely no difference. So I don't know. It was really, really stupid. Anyway, they tell him like, hey, your job here is done. We, we've got a new job for you. He's brought to a site in Tahiti where they recreate the giant radioactive footprint scene from the original. So we cut back to Nico and the American soldiers. He We find out he works for like the Nuclear Commission, and they've brought him to study this really cheesy-looking footprint in the ground. That's uh, definitely a Godzilla footprint. His team is like a bunch of wacky doctors straight out of, like, Twister. You know, it's just... It's, uh, God damn it. It's so lackluster and just, like, minimum effort, you know? 
there was a scene right at the beginning uh, after the boat accident that I always thought would have had more of an impact from a dramatic standpoint if they would have let it sit and not replay it throughout the movie. Then we cut to a hospital. We see uh, Jean Reno from, you know, Leon the Professional, like one of the coolest actors who just, for some reason, is always in shit movies. And that's when the Japanese sailor, the survivor from the, the initial boat attack... He's in this uh, hospital that has a, the last, or I guess the only survivor of the sinking ship in the cold open. Was questioned, and he wouldn't say anything. And he's he's kind of in shock. So Reno sparks a lighter in front of him, which I guess is enough to, to whatever, uh, and asks him what he saw. Jean Reno's character asks him what he saw. We see the lone survivor of the doomed vessel, an elderly Japanese man who keeps repeating, Gojira. He just said, Gojira. He just says, Godzilla. What did you see, old man? Gojira. 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 And they replayed it so much throughout the movie that I felt like it took away the impact of that scene. So they, they watched this crappy video, which is like somehow the exact same shots as the hospital that we saw, even though there didn't seem to be a camera right next to John Reno, so we see, like, his POV on the videotape. I don't know, whatever. Because once you hear it again and again and again in clips and whatnot, it it doesn't have the, the, the same impact that it did in that moment with the music kind of backing it up. Uh, also, after doing all the islands, Panama, all that, they put in the city that doesn't sleep for New York. Yeah. We cut to New York, where it's always raining, and we meet Matthew Broderick's ex-girlfriend, Audrey, who is an aspiring reporter at a news station, and her boss is a total creep. Uh, we then cut to New York, where we, Harry Shearer from The Simpsons is in charge of a newsroom, and they're all kind of complaining about nothing's going on. And A lot of the supporting characters uh, are kind of fun. Uh, his assistant is the girl that we saw in Tatopoulos's truck who has some pictures on his equipment so it's clear that there's some kind of relationship there and harry shearer is cast perfectly as the news reporter um what's his name shearer tells her like that you know she's one of the finalists for this job opportunity and then he like really creepily hits on her kind of insinuating that like she can have the job if she sleeps with him charles Keenan. he brings the right attitude to the kind of character this is supposed to be and he does a fantastic job with it then we cut back to Nico, whose new boss is also hitting on him. None of this has anything to do with anything. It's so pointless and stupid. It's such a waste of time. A wrecked ship has washed up on a shore, uh, what appears to be maybe like the Caribbean or Jamaica or something like that. It has these giant gashes down the side. I assume it's the same ship that we saw earlier, but I, I don't think it is. I don't, whatever. I wasn't paying enough attention to notice, to be honest with you. Uh, John Reno's character shows up and claims he's with an insurance company, and he tries to kind of pry some information out of the military, and they're telling him, you know, shove off. He meets a very pompous woman who says that she's a paleontologist. Uh, my least favorite character is... Dr. Elise Chapman, uh, she's very uh, forward uh, in parts, which is good, but uh, she's also very annoying and keeps saying how Ferris shouldn't be there. And awkwardly flirts with him. Uh... 
So our next thing we see is we see a couple of ships and the three fishing ships off the eastern seaboard of the United States. It's the middle of the night and they're all kind of just uh, trawling through the water. They have their nets in the water and everything and they all stall in place. Now their engines are still running. They're still, you know, full throttle. They should be moving forward, but they're not. And then kind of scarily, they start moving backwards against their engines to the point where they, they start being pulled under the water. Meanwhile, three fishing boats are somehow dragged under by a net during a storm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure about the physics behind this scene. Wouldn't, like, the net break before the boat sank? Still, it's a terrifying scene, and... It's very well shot. Everybody you know, abandoned ship and they're popping up like, what the hell? Um, that would suck. Like, even if you have like a life raft or something like you, that's not, no, like you don't want to be lost in the middle of the ocean during a storm. Nightmare feel right there. And then the ships pop up out of the water. So clearly something was that they, they keep saying something about like, cut the nets, cut the nets. So it's assumed that maybe Godzilla was eating their, their fish. Anyway, so we cut to Nico and the military at their their HQ, and they get the report of what just happened to those fishing ships. And Nico hypothesizes Godzilla has been created by radiation and is not some like hidden ancient species. The paleontologist thinks it's a type of Allosaurus. For the record, the Allosaurus is actually a lot smaller than a T-Rex. That said, I'm with the paleontologist on this. I'm definitely more uh, Team Dinosaur than Team Lizard. Occam's Razor and all that. It, nothing there's something about nico nothing he, or nick i guess nothing he um, hypothesizes in this movie has any scientific evidence behind it whatsoever and a lot of it ends up being true just because the plot needs it to be true but for them to reach these conclusions is ridiculous and everyone's just like ah okay thanks worm guy top of the populous. I don't know, man. It's just really annoying. So, yeah, he says this is the dawn of a new species, the first of its kind. Like, how the hell does he know that? How? how? Yeah, zero evidence. Good sciencing there, buddy. Uh, so, the wind cut to Nico's ex, or Nick's ex, who's having lunch with her friend and her friend's boyfriend, who is played by Hank Azaria, another Simpsons alum. They're basically telling her, like, hey, you know, your boss sucks, but you're too nice to get successful because you're you're so such a pushover. She's kind of taking that in, and she sees Nick on TV, and she's like, oh, look, it's my ex-boyfriend. Again, none of this, it's just so, like, why are we watching this? I remember I had gone to the theater to see Starship Troopers, and I sat in the theater. I was the only one in there. Which was, you know, a treat when you got the, the theater to yourself. And on came this trailer. There's a little old man walking down the dock and guys were picking on him and stuff like that. And he chucked his fishing pole out into the water. So we cut to the docks uh, at the United States, in New York, uh, presumably. Yeah, New York. And there's the, this, uh, like, a harbor. This old man's going out in the rain. He's going to... Oh, that's another thing. It's raining, like, the entire movie. It, I don't know why. Maybe Emmerich just likes water or something? I don't know. It's literally raining, like, the entire movie. Or at least in New York. And back in New York, an elderly fisherman is being teased while he's fishing on a dock. I also really like the opening scene in New York when the fisherman goes out in the middle of a torrential downpour to the East River. So the old, this old man goes fishing, and he, he, this is the scene from the trailer, if anybody's like a thousand years old like I am and actually remembers the trailer for this piece of shit. Uh, so he goes out to the end of this long dock, and he sets up his equipment, he starts fishing. And his, his reel goes out like he's got a bite, and it goes out really fast, and it goes out pretty far. And he's kind of struggling with it. And then... This <laughs> Godzilla just comes up out of the water and walks through the dock as he's running away and just starts trouncing around in New York. I actually really love this whole scene where he 
quote unquote catches Godzilla. So it's it's like a captivating visual, and it looks cool when he comes out of the water. Like that, that's actually one of the well done parts. It holds up okay. Probably the goofiest moment in this film is when the old guy goes out onto the pier to fish, and the scene begins, and this big giant creature in the water starts coming at him, and something about it never registered Godzilla. But as soon as the words from the creators of Independence Day graced the screen, I knew exactly what it was, and I got hyped. I love the heckling from Statler and Waldorf, and the old man still probably died running away and slipping on the dock. I mean, he was old. But I have a couple questions about the scene. And someone yells, hold on to it, Joe, you have a big one. And then Godzilla appears. I assume we're led to believe that Godzilla is the one that bit his lure. So if that's the case, any movement he would have made would have caused a lot of disturbance in the water, something that large. So is he just like laying at the bottom of this, the harbor, like near the dock? So presumably where it's relatively shallow, waiting for some stupid shit like this. Then he grabs like a fish and, and when he turns around, maybe like I, I, it just doesn't make any damn sense. And if you think about it for like five seconds, the whole thing falls apart. But regardless, the image of him coming up through the dock and everything's pretty cool. Uh, it's, you know, obviously played for laughs, but it, it works. I did and still do love all of the lead up. To showing Godzilla's form from the ship sinking to Godzilla approaching the dock to just seeing the boat like hanging off of these giant spikes. I will say like the original, this movie does an amazing job of really drawing out the buildup and the tension. Another 90s thing is the constant rain over the entire movie. Sure, it sets the mood, but it also covers the bad CGI. You know, and it's something about the CG. When he's like, once he gets out of the water and he's like walking on stuff, even though you don't really see full shots of him right away, it's not that great. Jurassic Park came out, what, five, six years before this, and it looks way better. Somehow this crappy CG, for me, just seems worse than like the old Kong and and Toho stuff, where it's like, you know, the the backdrops and models and all that stuff. And I don't know, back then it was like... You had to get creative with how you made your movies. Now it's just like you plug everything into a computer and most of the time it doesn't hold up that well after like a year, you know, even the Matrix, for God's sake. Uh, One thing I thought was funny is when he's marching around New York and trash and stuff, it's like every 20 seconds a boat falls out of the sky. Like he's just got all these boats in his mouth and he's just kind of letting them drop one at a time. It happens at least two or three times. It's pretty funny. Everything about this before you see his full form is still really cool like it was so cool that godzilla 2000 mimicked most of it we cut back into the newsroom office and hey look it's nancy cartwright bart simpson another simpson's alum nico's girl who we learn is named her name is audrey and uh, hank azaria's character are at the, the same restaurant from before when godzilla walks by azaria's character runs outside and grabs a video camera from like an overturned news van and chases after his girl uh, after godzilla while his girlfriend yells at him and calls him a retard um 
you know, even for the late 90s, that seems like, come on, guys. So, yeah, another thing, <laughs> there's a few times in this movie where Godzilla's about to step on people or about to do something. And they do, like, absolutely nothing to avoid it. Um, in this case, he's about to step on Hank Azaria, who literally just stands still and screams for, like, 20 seconds. Uh, thankfully for him, the he the foot lands with a toe on either side of him, and he's okay. We then learn, you know, actually, before we get there, I, I just want to point out, like, the, the destruction of the city is all really cool. Like, the practical effects used is, is really well done on the, you know, what is probably sound stages and stuff like that. That all looks pretty good. Even the CG on the destruction looks pretty good. But anything organic doesn't look great some of it was really bad at least they still use some of the puppets in the movie sure the cgi doesn't hold up super well but it's still effective especially because of how they use the jaws effect So the military sets up in Jersey. So the military set up a safe zone in New Jersey right across from the uh, the river. And the mayor of New Jersey lands in the safe zone to meet with the military. And uh, Jean Reno pops up and introduces himself like, hey, we're here to support you guys however you need it. And he plants a like listening device on uh, the mayor's collar. We then learn that Harry Shearer can't find his press ID when he's trying to get into like this big, ho- you know, meeting or whatever. And we see that Audrey has stolen his press ID to like give herself access. Anyway, uh, the worms didn't make sense. I didn't find any of the human characters very compelling. If there's one standout outside of Jean Renault, a character that I really like in this movie is uh, Hank Azaria's character, Animal. I actually think my favorite character is Animal because he seems kind of dumb, but he knows how to do his job. I thought Hank Azaria was hilarious. I didn't know he was the guy from The Simpsons when I was a kid. I, I like him as an actor, and this was the very first time I'd actually gotten to see him act, because before this, I only knew him as a voice on The Simpsons. There's three members of The Simpsons cast in this film. Which, funny enough, isn't that crazy? You got three actors from The Simpsons that appear in this movie. I mean, I wonder if they did that intentionally or if it was just some happy coincidence that just occurred. So we learned that, like, Hank Azaria's character is actually a cameraman who works at the same newsroom. I must have missed that. Um, His girlfriend then calls him a WAP, which is, like, another, like, Jesus Christ, guys. uh, uh, Audrey sees Nick on TV again, and, and she offers to use her connection to Nick for like she's there at the office she offers to use her connection to her ex-boyfriend for information on what's going on what a bitch the harry shearer is just like oh i can't be bothered to listen to you little girl the men are playing so whatever i love that animal goes after the big g with a vhs camcorder but animal and even his scene where godzilla stomps on him or doesn't he goes between his toes i understand that's kitschy cheesy whatever but it's fun it's it, you know it's silly don't take it too seriously Keep in mind, this is also kind of the anti-90s movie. Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert parodies of the mayor and his assistant. It's also pretty funny. Oh, and the mayor being played by the banker from Blank Check? I'd love to hate that guy. Mayor Ebert. Uh, the, was it, Mayor Ebert and his assistant Gene? I know that was kind of a dig at uh, Siskel and Ebert. Can you hear my eyes rolling? But uh, I feel like it's a little too on the nose. A good chuckle. Unfortunately, they don't ever really do anything with it like kill them or stomp on them maybe if they had uh, been a little bit more subtle with it and i'm pretty sure siskel and ebert even pointed that out in their review of this movie like you put us in your monster movie and you don't even murder us what the hell i i kind of probably would have had a little bit more fun with that the mysterious frenchman played by john renault wait 
Take that back. My favorite character is Jean Reno. If anyone is the action star, it's Jean Reno, and that dude just blows it out of the water. Jean Reno, I think now, in retrospect, does a great job. The leader of the French guys is also very good. Uh, he's very funny. He's suave. He's cool. He's just the badass that Jean Reno is. He's a French national treasure. This guy was actually already a famous French actor, but he's been in a ton of movies since this one. The uh, recurring joke about the Frenchman not liking American coffee. That's bad. Dude's always complaining about his French roast coffee to his undercover paramilitary guy. I loved every scene he was in. We see Jean Reno and his crew in the back of a UPS truck and they're listening on the military, so we now know that they anything the military says, these guys are in on. We don't know who they are yet. Presumably insurance guys. That doesn't make any sense. But anyway, they believe, the military, that Godzilla is burrowing and is hiding inside of a building or underneath a building. Um, and it looks like Godzilla literally burrowed underground near a, or through a building. <sighs> Whatever. He's a spy, a technician, a soldier. He's just great. And I loved his reaction to the crap coffee every time. He is just, he's just so French and obtuse. He's always drinking coffee. This is before third-rate coffee being available in every corner. I wonder if real French roast coffee tastes any better, because I have hated every single French roast I have ever had. And at the end of the movie, he's the one driving the cab that saves the, the team that saves the day. So if it weren't for him, hey, everything would have gone to shit. The Americans are not all strong-willed. Uh, basically, every American is kind of weak. Like, the primary cast of this film are all very weak, and they are trying to overcome their problems. The most gung-ho, confident person in this film is a French dude. So, I have a question. Why does Godzilla go from the Pacific Ocean to New York, of all places? Like... Did, did he cross over the Panama Canal at some point or go around South America? Did I miss something here? Did he go the long way around Africa? Um, <laughs> so, so we check in with the military and we learn that they've lost sight of Godzilla. They lost sight of Godzilla. Um, I mean, it, they, they, they're like, did he turn invisible? Like, they have no idea where this thing went, which is crazy to me. I mean, it's so stupid. Um, and, and Matthew Broderick says, I, I'm paraphrasing, but it's something like he is, like no other island in the world. This is a place he can easily hide. He's in there somewhere. All right. <laughs> You've got millions of people in the island of Manhattan, and you're going to sit there and say he can this giant T-Rex looking thing can easily hide there. I, you know, I, I've never been to New York myself, um, but from everything I've ever seen or heard, that seems pretty impossible to me, but whatever. But I don't know how it would be tunneling under Manhattan. The subway is totally jacked up. The tunnel system is extensive, but it's only so large. And there's a reason that they built those skyscrapers on the island. It's a pretty sturdy bedrock. You're not digging through that thing. With how much Godzilla burrows his way underground, it's amazing that, like, all of New York hasn't dropped into a sinkhole by now. Some of the coolest moments in this film is just watching Godzilla just wreck New York. Just walking through all these buildings and just, like, going to town and just seeing how massive Godzilla actually is in this film. 
Uh, we learn that Manhattan is under complete evacuation, and somehow there's a shot where you see Godzilla has walked through the MetLife building, like the middle of it, and there's just a giant hole in the middle of the building, but like it didn't collapse. I don't know. It just looks really weird. This movie sucks. Man, this movie is so pre 9 11. Yeesh. Nick suggests that instead of chasing down Godzilla like they're trying to, they just need to figure out what it is that Godzilla needs or wants, and they can bait it. It'll come to them. I remembered something about this movie that didn't actually happen in it, which is that I thought there was a plot to try to get an explosive into the belly of the beast. But what it actually is, is they just set a trap with a bunch of fish. They send troops into the city. Uh, The dudes in like squads with M16s aren't taking out Godzilla. And they dump a massive load of tuna fish in the middle of the street. By bringing in like 14 dump trucks full of fish. Like 16 dump trucks full of fish. And dumping them in a pile. So they get a bunch of dump trucks from the city and pile up like this huge mound of fish in uh, this middle of this intersection for bait. It's a lot of fish. Like all of the fish. And I remembered that vaguely. But what I thought they did was put a bomb down and then dump all the fish on top of it so that Godzilla would eat the bomb. For some reason, Matthew Broderick keeps taking photos with his disposable Kodak camera. How quaint. Gotta love the product placement in this movie. The worm scientist starts bossing around soldiers. And Broderick realizes they gotta lift all the manhole covers. So they run out and they're uncovering them to let the smell like go underground. And um, of course, Broderick runs off by himself and he opens up a manhole and he hears, you know, breathing and everything under the ground. No, they didn't do that. They just they just put down a bunch of fish and then the plan was, and now we'll shoot it with guns. And then the ground starts cracking underneath them. And he just watches it. Why the f***? Does everyone just keep standing there when shit's going down? It's like a constant trope in this movie. Like, move your ass, you idiot! Anyway. If you're a fan of this podcast and want to see it continue, help support us on Patreon, where you can unlock tons of exclusive content, including, but not limited to, movie commentaries ad-free versions of our promo specials extended cuts early access to new episodes behind the scenes clips first access to merchandise blooper reels and even a chance to vote on what we cover next on our podcasters disassembled episodes just head right on over to patreon.com slash podcasters assemble that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash podcasters assemble link in the show notes I think that the Godzilla creature in the film is an interesting creature, but it's not Godzilla. It's just an animal. Zilla emerging from the middle of the street, that like underbelly shot, is so cool because it gives you such a good show of like how athletic this new Godzilla is. And it's our first real look at Godzilla here, like a full body look. And I got to say, like, he really looks terrible. I mean, I don't understand how a dude in a foam suit could look better, but he does. This is really bad. (laughs) It's really bad. I do like the creature bursting through the asphalt like a goddamn street shark. Um, Godzilla pops up through the street and Nick still just stands there. It wasn't until the day that I went to see the movie. I went and saw this movie on opening day and it wasn't until that day that I actually had seen Godzilla. Now, it wasn't seeing him in theaters but there was a making of behind the scenes feature on showtime i think it was and they were showing godzilla for the first time i got mixed feelings about the very dramatic redesign of godzilla i was taken aback like it's not godzilla 
but it's kind of cool. I didn't know how I felt about it, but I knew from things that they had done in the trailer prior to that that he wasn't going to be the same Godzilla. Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich, the writer, producer, director team, uh, didn't care for Godzilla. They were trying to distance it from its legacy, which in the West, due to the popularity of 1973's Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, which was released to TV and theaters in the late 70s, had a promotional campaign tied in with the presidential campaign. <laughs> um, <laughs> they wanted to erase that legacy because most people thought about Godzilla movies in that goofy context of things like Godzilla vs. Megalon, which is one of my favorites. I love it. I love the goofy Godzilla movies uh, because I encountered them when I was a kid. I think the goofiest moment is just so many bad moments. Uh, there are some good moments. A moment that stood out to me is when Nick pops up in the main hole and Zilla is right there smelling the fish on him. He, it's, there's a weird bit here. He leans down, like, face to face with Nick, like, to smell him or whatever, and it's, like, swelling music. It's like, are we gonna kiss? Surprised he didn't get snacked on, though. But anyway, after staring at him for a few seconds, Godzilla roars in his face, which is played, like, for comedy. Uh, a lot of stuff in this movie is played for comedy. It doesn't ever feel like there's any stakes. Uh, and then basically just roars at him and just kind of walks away. Mostly bad moments. <laughs> oh, it's bad. It's impossibly bad. Uh, he goes, towards the giant thing of the fish and real quick they cut to like the military base and you see they're looking at the radar and following Godzilla going towards the fish pile and they've created like a fish icon on the radar to show to show where the mountain of fish is it's hilarious anyway so Godzilla starts munching on the fish and you get like a, a we need bigger guns I mean it's just uh, everything is just torn off of better movies now we'll say there's a lot of unreal military interaction in this film but the firing at Wilpart, just because they lost sight while still having plenty of communication, is the one that really gets me. The military opens fire on him once he starts eating, and it does like absolutely nothing. Fire at will? What are these idiots doing? Don't you know how Godzilla movies work? That's just how you piss him off. They're chasing Godzilla, and, and, and he starts breathing fire. Like, not nuclear fire, but like a dragon. And every time he breathes fire, if you listen, they've cut it. In the, in the audio for it, there's like a, a panther snarl or like a jaguar snarl or something like that. Oh my god, the military just blew up the Flatiron building. Also, you couldn't evacuate all of New York City, which was 18,637,000 in 1998. So you're definitely killing people hiding out in their apartments. Aren't there people in all those buildings they keep shooting at? We get a first of multiple helicopter chase scenes through the streets of New York. This should be cool. It should be really cool. But instead, it's incredibly stupid. I think the helicopter chase scene is probably one of the coolest action moments in this movie. This part with the helicopters flying through the city feels like like a video game I've played before. Because you have kind of a two-sided thing where first there's these team of uh, the, the Echo Squad helicopters are chasing Godzilla through the city. And you get some pretty good special effects where, the, uh, looking at it now, it's pretty clear that what they did is they had a model city they were kind of swinging a camera through and then superimposing a CGI Godzilla on top of it. Like a Nintendo 64 video game, and not a good one. But it looks pretty cool, and it really plays with the idea that the reason New York is a great setting for Godzilla is because Godzilla can actually 
feasibly get lost in New York because it's it's Godzilla's huge, but it's not bigger than all the buildings. So I like that the helicopter sequence plays with that as the helicopters are chasing Godzilla. You still track a 200-foot lizard if you're 300 feet up. These pilots are idiots. They fly at, like, third-story level chasing after this thing through the streets instead of getting up over it where they can see where it's going. Um, just awful. And they're, they're zooming around, missing this impossibly large target and blowing the city to pieces. The military does way more damage to the city than Godzilla. And that's when they realize that heat-seeking uh, weapons don't track him properly. Uh, and seriously, these guys are such bad shots. They literally should be stormtroopers. And Godzilla starts trashing helicopters. Then you get this kind of tense, quiet moment where they think they've got Godzilla cornered. And then it just bursts through a wall behind the helicopters. And now Godzilla's chasing the helicopters instead. Really fun. You don't need to be hanging around in his ass level, shooting all the buildings. Oh my god. Dude, they, they just demolished the chrysler building i love the pilot's reaction here oh damn um negative negative and when he starts trashing the helicopter still nobody thinks like maybe i should go up above where he can reach me i mean the helicopters going through the city could just pull up idiots i don't think i could shake him go up you're in a freaking helicopter uh they cut to the military bunker and the mayor's pissed and he has every right to be because they're actually doing more damage to the city than godzilla is So anyway, we cut to the safe zone and, and Nick is going to a pharmacy uh, where he's buying up all their pregnancy tests. So for some reason, Nick goes and buys all the pregnancy tests at the local CVS right when Audrey shows up randomly. And that's where Audrey runs into him and it's like, oh, hey, what's up? It's me. Let's catch up. And literally, like, as soon as they step outside, she's like, are you still mad at me? And we learned previously, I should have mentioned that when, before they broke up, he had proposed to her. So she's like, are you still mad at me? And he points out that she left him without a letter or a phone call after a four year long relationship and a proposal. So, yeah, he's still a little mad. And she's like, well, people change, Nick, like acting like. She's been wronged by him being upset. Anyway, so come on back with me into the safe zone. Wait, this begs the question, why is the CVS still open? And why is that lady so calm? Man, New Yorkers are something else. And they're drinking some tea at his workstation while he tests, um, I-, I thought it was urine, but they said something about blood later, although yellow, whatever. But yeah, basically he's running uh, this, we'll say urine, on the pregnancy test that he bought and they're showing positive. And he's saying like, look, I know this isn't what this is designed for, but it's testing for the same hormones that should show up in a pregnancy of, you know, this creature, that, whatever. So Broderick figures out that Godzilla is a she- Kinda. Really stupid. Shouldn't work. But that's the giant leap they had to take for him to realize that Godzilla is pregnant. I guess he reproduces asexually? And is either here to lay eggs or has already laid eggs. Also that he's pregnant, which I guess kind of explains the migration. Kind of. And that the the reason that Godzilla picked New York was to basically nest here. I also think the plot was intended for a different movie. Or they change it midway. Because I can only imagine that the writer had intended for it to be Godzilla as a girl and not some asexual egg layer. Uh, so being all suave and cool, Nick invites Audrey over to check out his cool tent slash lab. He immediately is like, oh man, this is big news. I got to go share this with the military. And as soon as he runs out, she starts snooping through all his stuff. And she finds the video that they watched earlier, the top secret video that has the survivor of the original fishing ship. Godzilla. And the footsteps that they investigated and all that stuff. And she steals it. And she steals a top secret VHS tape. And ditches out. 
Because, you know, she's a good person. So the military has started to search tunnels to find, you know, if Godzilla's burrowed, see if we can find him. And there's this one bit where this guy's like, I didn't check this tunnel yet. No, nothing here. And as soon as he turns around, you see that, like, this eye opens and it's taking up, like, the entire tunnel. And then it starts moving around. And, like, there's this big empty cavern if he had just kept walking a few feet. And the CG is Oh, it's terrible. It's like Mortal Kombat, the movie, terrible. I love how the name Godzilla comes from the news anchor who mispronounces Gojira. That's that's super clever. That's a nice touch. When the story airs, it's in Nick and the military in the middle of a meeting, and she mentions him by name. So, of course, he's immediately removed from the project and fired. We cut to her trying to reach him and being told that he's not with them anymore. And she's like, but he was just there. Conveniently, he's like eight feet behind her. She's in a payphone, and he's out in the street right behind her putting stuff into a cab. Audrey and Nick somehow rerun into each other, in New York of all places. And she correctly assumes she got him kicked off the team. And when he's like, you took all that stuff I told you. And she goes, well, you never said it was off the record. And then she tells him like, don't, I haven't made it as a reporter. And I, I just couldn't tell you I was a failure. Like this is, this chick's a freaking psychopath. And have a heart to heart in the rain where she apologizes for ruining his career. So he basically gets some smart, snarky remark for her, hops in the cab and takes off. The story is is pretty cut and dry. Nick tells everyone it's pregnant and just assumes it will lay 12 eggs because some lizards can lay up to 12 eggs. <laughs> he bases this on nothing. And they're all like, all right, 12 eggs it is. It's just so, oh my God, it makes me angry. He's, he's nesting, if you will. And then Nick gets kidnapped by a mysterious French taxi driver. The cab driver turns out to be Jean Reno. One of the coolest moments is when Leon just sort of like kidnaps and brings Ferris into the French conspiracy about what created Godzilla. Who is like, no, we're not taking you to the airport, you're coming with us. I really like Lucy and Animal. They're both over the top, but pretty good comic relief. Hank Azaria had run to get into his van to follow the cab to be like, dude, give her a break when he sees that they're not going to the airport. So he follows. Apparently, the French Secret Service is trying to clean up their mess because they realize that French nuclear testing in the Pacific created Godzilla. Okay. They go to, like, this uh, warehouse is full of weapons and all this crazy shit, and um, John Reno reveals that he's actually French Secret Service. You know, the mil- he's telling them, hey, our bug has revealed that the military is not going after your theory of it nesting, but we believe you're right, and we should team up. And the reason that he's there is that they're trying to erase some mistakes that the French government made, essentially. And we find out that there's been a bunch of French uh, nuclear testing, and they're the ones that created Godzilla. So, there you go. Yeah, really stupid. I like that when uh, the French guys are all getting set up to go sneak into Manhattan and they're going to have to pretend to be Americans, they they get, like, issued out gum. The French soldiers chew gum to blend in as Americans, which is somewhat accurate. And and Matthew Broderick rocks up and he's like, what's with the chewing gum? And they're like, it makes us look more American. A, a good one is the uh, they do an Elvis impression and chew gum. To make people think they're American, that's pretty funny. Jean Reno's Elvis impression is a little cringy. So Nick and Jean Reno sneak into the quarantine zone as soldiers. And kind of somewhat humorous bit where Jean Reno has to speak and uses an Elvis impersonation for his uh, American accent. Roland Emmerich is not American, so that's kind of nice to see his <laughs> his take on Americans. And then it just pans across all of them, just sitting there going. 
the military is planning to get Godzilla into open terrain, like Central Park, somewhere where they can really let loose on with weapons that don't have to be heat-seeking and really light it up. Audrey and Animal go digging around the lizard-infested sewers. I should point out that Godzilla has barely been in this movie at this point we're about an hour in the military sets up another pile of fish in central park and he smells the second fish trap that the military set up in the park remember to get him into open areas so they can unleash on with non-heat seeking weapons but godzilla is on to them this time but they're literally stand like everywhere they're all over the place with trucks and guns and spotlights and he just looks at everything and he roars like i'm not that stupid and later in the movie they do the fish trap again and I'm like, this time, surely they've, they've put a bomb inside. Nope, just, we're just going to shoot it with guns again. So as soon as he turns around, they all open fire and <laughs> a hilarious amount of helicopters chase after him. We see a swarm of attack helicopters. There's no way the second helicopter attack scene wasn't inspired by Star Wars or, you know, Independence Day. This is absurd. There's absolutely not enough space for that many clustered together. And the way they move feels very much like an X-Wing or some other type of spacecraft. There's so many of them and they're packed so tightly together. Any movement would cause a cascade of explosions. It's just ridiculous. And they're all firing. I mean, no, absolutely not. It's completely ridiculous. The worst people in this film is the U.S. military. They're just terrible at their jobs. So they chase after him for this really stupid chase scene, and he eventually sees the water, and he jumps like two blocks, dives into the ocean, which is really weird. Anyway, what he doesn't know is that the Navy has some submarines waiting for him, and these shitty CGI submarines start shooting crappy CGI torpedoes at the crappy CGI monster who crappily dodges them. Nuclear subs fire on Godzilla as he tries to swim away, and they blow up one of their own subs? Um, and then swims back towards the submarine that fired them, trailing the now following torpedoes behind him and blowing up the submarine. Really? The next group of CGI submarines shoot their CGI torpedoes and they connect. And everyone immediately assumes he's dead. I mean, they're like, oh yeah, we hit him once. He's definitely dead. Wee! Man, military is hilariously bad in this movie. Like, just hilariously bad. Again. 1998, this is before 9-11, so Hollywood could just shit right over them. I swear, the American military in this movie is more inept than they are in any Bond movie. Wait, is he- he might actually be dead here. You see him floating to the bottom of the ocean and everyone's like super stoked. Oh jeez, there's still like 40 minutes left in this movie at this point. Nick and crew go fishing around in the demolished subways and find the ruins of Madison Square Garden. Uh, so Nick and the gang get to underneath Madison Square Garden where parts of it have like fallen under because it's been burrowed through. Now they climb up into Madison Square Garden and they discover the nest. The entire stadium's covered in fish and that's when they find the nest. And there's a hell of a lot more than 12 eggs. There's hundreds of eggs. So way to go, Papadopoulos. You moron. These eggs look like something out of Ridley Scott's Alien. The French are planting charges on a lot of the eggs, and Nick starts hearing noises from inside an egg, and rather than correctly assuming, holy shit, this thing's about to hatch, me to get out of here, he's like leaned up against it like, what's that noise? And he just, at this point, I want one of them to bite his head off, I swear to God. Uh, so all these mini Godzillas start hatching out of all these eggs everywhere. There's tons of them. Hank, Azaria's character, and Audrey are just filming them. They're like right in front of them, and they're just filming it. Like, wow, this sure is worth documenting, and not, well, we sure are in danger. Nick and the French guys are just watching it, watching these things hatch. Like, hmm, interesting. And they're like right next to them. I don't know, maybe run like hell? I don't know, that's just me. 
uh, the best and worst monster in this film, or the baby Godzillas. They smell like fish. They smell like food. So the babies start trying to eat everybody. So that's fun. The uh, the best monster in this movie is the end of the movie has this crazy sequence where all of these baby Godzillas are cracking out of their shells. Finally, some people get eaten. Faceless French guys, but still they get eaten. So somebody actually dies other than like, you know, I'm pretty sure the people in that boat died. <laughs> like, I don't know, whatever. It's just kind of silly. While some people are getting eaten, Hank Azaria and Audrey are standing there and they're like surrounded. These things are everywhere. And they literally just run within a foot of the faces of a bunch of them and nothing happens. They're not touched at all. It just looks like maybe the CGI put them too close to the wall or something because they, they should have both been dinner. But they just run by right by. And suddenly, you know, you've had the whole movie be about this giant monster wrecking havoc through the city. And suddenly we're in Velociraptor territory. They're the best because of how they remind me of the raptors from Jurassic Park in many of their scenes. And this scene really feels like they just wanted to do the raptor scene from Jurassic Park, but it's like a thousand times shittier. I do think this whole section was kind of a cool twist, but it was also clearly an attempt to rip off of the raptors from Jurassic Park. The mini-zillas were fun, but I also think that they're the exact ripoff of a Velociraptor and a T-Rex. The Jurassic Park raptor scene is, like, iconic. This is trash, because the CGI is just a wreck. This movie's, again, like I said, not super inspired by Godzilla. It's more like Jurassic Park crossed with Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. I mean, coming straight out of the heels of 1993's Jurassic Park. I mean, it takes a lot from Jurassic Park, where you have the T-Rex sequence, and then you have the Velociraptor in the enclosed space sequence. The French dude has Matthew Broderick try and call in an airstrike at the stadium. But the Frenchmen are not faring well. I mean, these guys suck. I don't know how they got to be Secret Service, because they're terrible. They don't accomplish anything, and they the two guys that are not Jean Reno both get eaten fairly quickly. And we see Nick, get, in another example of these things, like not really being threatening at all. Nick is surrounded by a bunch of them and has time to back up against the wall, hit an elevator call button like 55 times, get in the elevator and hit the door close button. And the only thing he has to do to not get hurt is like kick one of these things in the head. Um, they should have torn him to pieces like five times over if they were halfway competent, but maybe just because they're literally minutes old. Who knows? And it's great. The baby Godzilla is chasing everyone through Madison Square Garden is really a lot of fun. Hey, there's a blockbuster sign. Oh, hey, look, a Blockbuster logo. I really appreciate the elevator jokes. In that both it's scary, and also there's a shot where there's a bunch of baby Godzillas slipping on a bunch of gumballs on the floor. Um, there is a funny bit, though, where he's on the elevator and he's like, oh, thank God. Holy crap. Oh, Jesus. And the door dings and it opens up to a room where a bunch of the babies which at this point are like nine feet tall, uh, are eating like popcorn and stuff. Like they're trashing this room. And he just goes, like when the door opens, they'll pause and turn to look at him. And he just goes like, um, <laughs> wrong floor. And it just hits closed door. And it was kind of a funny bit. Because, because you gotta have the jokes. Uh, French guy f***s up the camcorder. He runs into Jean Reno, tells him the babies are loose and we gotta get the hell out of here. We gotta, you know, do something because this is really bad. And as they're talking... Hank Azaria's character and Audrey fall out of the air vent right next to them because, again, everything has to happen right next to people. Uh, Audrey conveniently knows where the broadcast booth is in Madison Square Garden because her network covers Rangers games. I don't know how she would know this stuff, but whatever. Who cares? Audrey realizes a way of getting a message to the outside. Oh, that's right. None of them had cell phones back then. And 
he somehow knows the babies are all born pregnant. Uh, we No evidence is given this whatsoever. No study's been done whatsoever. He's just making a wild assumption. But it works because the math bears out that if these things age and procreate at the speed he thinks they're going to, that very soon there could be hundreds of thousands of them and they need to do something. Nick explains that the baby Godzillas are born pregnant at 9 feet tall and if they get out of the nest they will multiply by 40,000 in the first year and could become the dominant form of life on the planet. So they say look it doesn't matter what happens to us order a bombing of Madison Square Garden and they do. They manage to broadcast a news report from the stadium and the military gives them six minutes to evacuate. So anyway, the babies break in, they're chasing everybody out. At one point, they slip on a bunch of like marbles and gumballs and basketballs, like a freaking slapstick comedy, like a Marx Brothers bit. It's really shitty. I don't know, man. I can keep going. Like there's so much stuff happens. It just doesn't matter. But anyway, Madison Square Garden gets blown up. But they're also the worst because of how easily they are defeated. They're just not all that monstrous once there's a bunch of little dead Godzilla corpses everywhere. All the babies die. Thank God. I'm sorry, but there's no way they outran that explosion. That whole stadium went nuclear. Immediately after the explosion, Audrey and Nick kiss. Like, oh, everything's good. The end. Uh, and then we get a romantic kiss and music swell. Uh, John Renault says, I could use a coffee. Couldn't we all? Oh, thank God. Oh, no, wait. There's like 35 minutes left of this dumpster fire. So you know something's going to happen. Uh, but the plot twist here is that Godzilla is not dead after all. And out of the ashes of Madison Square Garden, the OG Godzilla bursts up. Apparently the torpedoes didn't kill him and they somehow missed him. I, I, how these subs that were right in front of him with radar didn't see him going. I don't know, man. This is ridiculous. But anyway, he pops up. And he's pissed. He looks down and sees his baby's dead, and he looks you know, around, and the first thing he sees is Nick and his gang, and he is pissed. Although uh, this latter half of the movie has been dragging a little bit, and maybe they're leaning a little too much into the comedy elements and not enough into the horror elements, this whole ending is pretty great. There's that moment where you see Godzilla looking down at his his babies as they're dying, or laying there dead, and... Then he looks up at the people, and it's like one of those oh-shit moments. It would add more gravitas to the film if Godzilla was a mama protecting her eggs. But you know, someone was like, nah, Godzilla has to be a strong male. The part where they're running from Godzilla is probably the best part of the movie. It's pretty tense. So they stumble around and trip over each other and half-speed run and somehow get away from this thing until they find an unlocked cab and take off in that. Uh, they hijack a taxi. Godzilla tries to cut them off. There's another Taco Bell ad. Godzilla's chasing them around. They're tearing ass through the streets. And somehow the military still doesn't realize this thing is alive and running around. Somehow. How is there electricity in the city at this point? The best vehicle, though, is totally the cab. That thing could take a beating. They, they run into, they, they see where a bunch of soldiers are, so Nick tells them to turn around. They drive past them, and Nick smartly throws the cab medallion at them so they know what the radio frequency they're on. This whole chase sequence, it feels like a ride. Like, in a good way. I don't know, man. God, this is so f stupid. So anyway, they, they order the fighter jets that were attacking Godzilla earlier to come back to the island. There's some really great stunts and pyrotechnics here. <sighs> so the car gets trapped in a tunnel. They blind Godzilla with high beams on their, their lights because... I mean, really, 
the friggin' spotlights didn't blind him earlier, but this works. Okay. It's intense. It's fast paced. It's all over the place. They drive onto the Brooklyn Bridge where he somehow gets ahead of them and underneath, I don't know, underneath the road and ahead of them. And he pops up and like basically eats their car. We're in his mouth. We are in his mouth. Doesn't crush it. He just has it in his mouth like, Arr. I mean, they drove out his mouth like it was the space worm from Star Wars. We're going the wrong way, man. Animal's great. And um, uh, Nick finds there's like a cable with sparks coming off of it. I don't know what it's connected to, but okay. In in Godzilla's mouth, like with a bunch of other crap that he picked up with their car. So Nick grabs that and shocks him in the gums, which is actually pretty smart. And then they drive out of his mouth. Okay, so this, this Godzilla is determined. I want to point out that Zilla is showing some very keen intelligence. I mean, he shows intuition, memory, empathy, and tactical thinking. Lizards don't even show empathy for their young, usually. It is actually kind of smart, too. It kind of it kind of feels wrong for them to kill it. And then finally, at the end, through sheer luck, Zilla gets stuck on the suspension cables on the bridge. Oh, God. Again, going back to how dumb the military was, rolling up in like 400 tanks, artillery, 100 fully armed helicopters, eventually jets. So they drive on the Brooklyn Bridge, his weight starts weighing it down, and the suspension cables... Start falling on him and wrapping him up, get him stuck. And then fighter jets make a bunch of turns at him and just missile the shit out of him until he's down. That just seemed like a crazy amount of ordnance, especially the small arms. I feel really bad for the guy. He wasn't trying to destroy the city. It was just in his way. He didn't mean to try and eat them. I mean, it took 12 AGM-84E missiles at a total cost of $8,640,000 to finally destroy Zilla. But at least this one could bleed a little bit, though not much. (sighs) Poor nuclear lizard. And then Nick walks up in the pouring rain and just stares at him while he's going and watches the light go out of his eyes like he's a freaking T-100. This moment is, it's played up like really emotionally. It's very sad. I mean, you even hear its heartbeat slowing and then stopping as its eyes close. It's kind of weird tonally that we go from this massive scary action scene to feeling bad for Godzilla and then everyone cheering because he's dead. Hooray, it's dead. Wee. Ugh. It's kind of messed up. The humans are totally the bad guys in this one, aren't they? Got a funny moment of Lucy saying, That's my husband. I'm going to kill him. Woo. So Harry Shearer runs up to Audrey like, Hey, we did it. And she quits. Uh, Nick promises an exclusive to Audrey. Audrey Rage quits pretty dramatically. Hank realizes, Hank is Harry's character, realizes his tape is missing and that, that John Reno probably stole it. The French guy steals animals' footage and then calls from a payphone to say that he has to make some edits to the tape. He calls Nick on a phone. He's like, hey, I stole your friend's tape. I will edit some stuff out and you'll get it back, eh? Like, this matters at all. Like, anybody... I also loved all the product placement. Kodak, Taco Bell, Blockbuster Video, Sony. I mean, there was a lot. This movie is totally a time capsule. It's like, how many 90s references can we cram into this one movie? It's just funny how blatant it was, though. At least now they usually blend it into things more, or like you might notice a cell phone. And look, I do agree, it does kind of um, shit on the idea, the concepts of what Godzilla was in those initial movies. Emric and Devlin did not want anything to do with this. They actually rejected this once, and then TriStar told them 
you are going to do this movie. But they were really apprehensive because this the, they didn't want to fall into the schlock of the Godzilla 60s and 70s. So they were very apprehensive. They were very afraid to do this. Going back to 1954-56 Godzilla, just shrugged off rockets, so... Eh. Uh, he's not indestructible, but they kind of pair that off with he's fast, he's quick, which is something they couldn't do back then. But Toho did love this. They loved the Godzilla design. They loved the movie and they genuinely wanted Tristar to continue making movies and Emmerich did as well. I actually can't find anything on why they never did make two more films, which was the plan. And the film ends just as it began, an explosion that leaves an egg behind. And believe it or not, this movie actually ended on a cliffhanger. Anyway, (laughs) because they had to tease a sequel. We see one surviving egg in the ruins of Madison Square Garden. Uh, Under Madison Square Garden, a single egg remains unmolested, undestroyed. And it pops open. And it starts the hatch. To reveal a new son of Godzilla. And the camera goes black, just like my soul. This actually reminded me a lot of the ending of uh, the 90s Super Mario Brothers movie, which also had a very cringy cliffhanger. I'm still waiting for that sequel. Cut to the Puff Daddy song. Come with me. Do, 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 do. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh, yeah, uh. Uh-huh, yeah. Hear my cries, hear my call. Try to trap me, bad rap. Wiretap me, backstab me. Break the fate, fall from grace. Tell me lies, time flies. Close your eyes, come with me. Yeah. Come with me. Holy shit. I'm listening to the lyrics of this thing, and the Puff Daddy song is totally about Godzilla, isn't it? It's like from his POV. Yeah, you said to trust you. You'd never hurt me. Now I'm disgusted. Since then I adjusted. Suddenly you fooled me. Ridiculed me. Left me hanging. Now it's a boomerang. Right back at you. Think long range. Narrow minded. Let me blind it. I co signed it. It backfired, but I'm bouncing back. You want to end me? Feel the drama. Come with me. It's 100% about emo Godzilla. Oh, man. And that teaser at the end, it leads you to believe that they at least made this with the idea of sequels in mind. There was no sequel. There was a cartoon, I guess, and that was pretty good. I close my eyes and I see you. Standing there, I cry tears of sorrow. I die. I'm destructive. I want to fight you. I'll freaking bite you. Can't stand nobody like you. You can't run, you can't hide, no surprise, close your eyes, come with me. Yeah. (laughs) 
You know, after revisiting this, I kind of want to go and watch the animated series. The movie's not very good. It's not as bad as people think. This is such dog Beast from 20,000 Fathoms has been touched on briefly when y'all were talking about the first Godzilla movie. This is really more closely linked to that film. It feels a lot like it's a remake of the original Godzilla movie. So they kind of reapproached it as a renewed 54. This film takes a lot from the 1954 Godzilla. There are a lot of identical scenes, but at the same time, it was for the American audience. In that, you know, there's there's these kind of attacks that happen in less populated areas, and we go there to learn a little bit about those, like, what's going on. Um, it's almost like a watered-down version of the original. Boat gets hit, everyone goes into a panic, and then, of course, everyone starts tracking this creature, trying to figure out where it's going, and it winds up in New York versus Tokyo, but not for the same reasons. And then we come back to a populous area, and everything humanity does to try to defend itself doesn't actually work very well. Like, there's a lot of, I feel like, echoes of the original in this, but this is also, like, a good horror movie, and it's got some funny bits to it, and it's got a weird romance subplot that you don't need in your monster movie, but why not have a weird romance subplot in your monster movie? Uh, this film was not made with the Japanese in mind. This film was made for Americans. And this seems to be something that a lot of people tend to forget, um, particularly the Godzilla fans at the time gave it a lot of trash because it was not a Japanese movie, but it was never intended to be. They never pretended to do anything Japanese about it. And I think a lot of the hate comes from the fact that Godzilla is not what we typically think of Godzilla as. I think that the Godzilla creature in the film is an interesting creature, but it's not Godzilla. It's just an animal. I don't know if they went as far as Universal does nowadays or did nowadays with like the MonsterVerse where they had like eight movies planned out before one had even come out. And again, we got so many good movies out of this and we got one of the most amazing cartoons in my childhood out of this. If I remember correctly, the cartoon actually picks up after the movie. It's literally about the baby Godzilla that survives and grows up. But for reasons that I don't remember if they're explained or not, this is a good Godzilla. And I don't know if he's pregnant. Maybe they neutered him. Also, that cartoon did a lot of the things that the Japanese wanted to do with their movies, but then just kind of never did. But he fights other monsters and stuff, kind of like the old uh, Toho Godzilla movies. Uh, it was the first Godzilla vs. Godzilla fight, and that's something Japan had been talking about for, like, decades. But I'm so glad that nothing ever got made after this. So if you can disassociate the new design and what he is being presented as and just let all that go and then just watch the movie for what it is. It's actually kind of fun. It's not good. It's really not good. I do love this movie. It still holds a special place in my heart. So yeah, I, I guess that's that's my thoughts on Godzilla uh, from 1998. Is I liked it. This, this movie's really, really, really stupid. So... I do get the dislike and the hatred for this movie when it comes to what it represents in terms of where it came from, what its origins were. And, you know, Roland Emmerich has stated on record that his idea was totally reinventing the character. But I also feel like Dean Devlin was not keen on that necessarily, but he kind of went along with it. I feel like there are statements he's made over the years saying as such, but... I don't know. So I really like how 
this movie echoes a similar message that the early Godzilla film was trying to convey about nuclear bombs, but this time it's about the effect humans have on the environment. Not just with nuclear testing, but with overfishing and other various things. I feel like if you can get away from what it does wrong in terms of regarding Godzilla and just take it for a giant monster movie about a lizard running around New York City and causing chaos, it's actually not that bad. It's kind of fun. I liked it. It, it's, it fails in so many ways. My memories of this movie are more tied up with that there was a period of time when I was a child that everyone was interested in Godzilla. And that's more how I remember this movie. It was the thing that helped me connect to other people. It was better than I expected to be in that it was about as good as I remembered it being. But the last time I saw it, I was about nine years old. So I I expected my memory to be bad, but instead it was about as good as I remember, which was better than I expected. And it was had a huge budget behind it and was marketed everywhere. And it's just like the Americans do Godzilla. Like now we're going to show you what it looks like when he's actually scary and not fun or entertaining in any way, shape or form. Although this 90s Hollywood Godzilla wasn't quite up to par, Toho actually put out another Godzilla movie in response to this one, the aptly titled Godzilla 2000. Which was awesome, by the way. It's a gritty reboot where Godzilla is back to being the bad guy, except he also reluctantly saves the day from an alien monster, so that's just the icing on the kaiju cake. When the posters for Godzilla 2000 first came out, I was a kid, and I actually thought that it was a sequel to this Godzilla. And I was a little confused when the whole cast was Japanese, and I didn't quite make that connection yet. But if not for 98, which I will always say is one of the most important films in the franchise, if not for 98, we probably would never have gotten Godzilla 99, the start of the Millennium series. Toho was absolutely not going to touch Godzilla until 2005, but this made people want the dude in the suit again. Um, I think it was Godzilla 2000 where the real Godzilla fights this thing and just beats the shit out of it. What cracks me up is that this movie is sort of canon in the Toho Godzilla films because in Godzilla Final Wars, this monster shows up, but it's not Godzilla. They just call it Zilla. And what's funny is in that movie, Godzilla totally kicks his ass. <laughs> it's awesome. Zilla gets punked out. He's definitely no king of the monsters. So... It's only thanks to 98 that we got 99 through 2004. I thought it was really interesting, um, the message that they try to put into the film. Uh, I don't have a lot of deep insight and thoughts into this film, but I do defend it now, unlike maybe 10 years ago when I probably wouldn't have. Godzilla is so deeply uh, ingrained in my personality and who I am. It's such a formative experience for me watching those films growing up that... The fact that it wasn't popular really did put a, a disconnect between myself and my peers. I feel like people should uh, give it give it another watch and, and disassociate the Godzilla aspect of it just a little bit. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And it's just, it's not good. I like this movie a lot. It's really not good. For a year in the late 90s, everyone was a little bit of a Godzilla fan. That's what's important to me. So... I can't say this is the worst Godzilla movie ever, 
It's actually pretty far from the worst Son of Godzilla, anyone. But it's nowhere near the best. Luckily, this wasn't the last American attempt at a Godzilla movie. When Legendary Pictures got their hands on the rights to Godzilla, they didn't try to reinvent the wheel, and they finally got it right. For my thoughts on movies in the early Godzilla franchise, check out my show Record All Monsters, where we look at the entire history of giant monster movies from King Kong up to the present day. We're just now starting to touch on the films of the 60s, so if you want to be the guy with all the knowledge about monster movies and your friend group as you gear up to see Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max on March 31st, it's a good Cliff's Note version of watching the 88 years worth of legacy these two icons carry with them, without having to watch 88 years worth of movies. Although, I want to say, I must have been aware of Godzilla before all this, because I'm pretty sure that I saw King Kong vs. Godzilla before this one, now that I think about it. Now, who would win? Uh... Now, who's going to win between Godzilla and King Kong? Okay, so if it were a battle with this Zilla versus Kong, I think Kong would win. Once again, King Kong doesn't have any shot at all. So for this one, I'm going to hold off on my thoughts on the 90s Godzilla for next time. I have no idea to tell you the truth. Giant monkey versus a giant lizard, not indestructible nuclear power plant. But... A matchup I've always wanted to see is the 1976 King Kong taking on the 1984 Godzilla from The Return of Godzilla. It depends on what Godzilla and what King Kong we are talking about. I even think 1976's Kong is a direct match. I think Skull Island Kong would whoop this thing's ass. I remember reading rumors about a rematch between the two from this era around this time that never got made and visually i thought that would be really awesome to see especially the 80s godzilla design i'm not a huge fan of the 70s king kong the movie itself is pretty rough but the design and the effects were pretty good the 80s godzilla was once again a total radioactive wrecking ball he was unstoppable but the 70s King Kong was pretty tough. He was very strong, at least. And he was huge. He was really, really big. Not quite Godzilla height, but... I very much don't think King Kong should win. He was a beefy monkey. This is just because it isn't that fire breath. It's just strong and big. Just due to the fact that Godzilla does have a nuclear breath weapon. It's a little wreck King Kong. There's not even a fight. But... Then again, King Kong is a giant ape and might be slightly more intelligent. And even though he technically does get taken out by the Apache choppers with Gatlin guns on top of the Twin Towers and falls to his death, there's actually a sequel where he comes back called King Kong Lives, where they give him a heart transplant and resuscitate him. And then he demolishes the American military. And... If he can get behind Godzilla, or on Godzilla's back, Godzilla has tiny arms, it's not going to be able to reach back there. So, I feel like he's a little bit more on par with, um, Zilla. He's definitely more intelligent. Although it does have a tail. Uh, the 80s Godzilla was kind of a mindless beast. He was just kind of stumbling around, didn't seem to have a lot of agency. Although, 
mostly it just sort of swishes it around and knocks down buildings most of the time. I think if this King Kong can avoid uh, Godzilla's atomic breath, he might stand a chance, especially if they're fighting near Volcano. So yeah, my money's on uh, the 76 King Kong over the 84 Godzilla. But yeah, I think it would it would be a tough fight. It would have been really cool to see if they could have made that work in the 80s. Plus, I imagine the effects would have been a lot better than the 60s King Kong vs. Godzilla. It would have been really cool to see like a mixture of suitmation and early animatronics. <sighs> I definitely miss practical effects. So the next one would be Peter Jackson's King Kong, in which rather than do like... I'm going to do it better than they did it because I'm modern and cool. For better or for worse, essentially just remade the 1933 King Kong. So I am exceptionally glad to be done talking about this piece of and I never want to talk about it again. But I do look forward to the next one. And the next Godzilla film we'll talk about is actually a significant margin better than this piece of shit. So that was 1998's Godzilla. And up next, we have Peter Jackson's 2005 remake of King Kong. Godzilla will return in 2014's Godzilla, and Kong will return in 2005's King Kong. And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and beauty stayed his hand. And from that day forward, he was as one dead. So you are ready for this voyage, Mr. Sure. Nervous? Nervous? No. Should I be? Imagine, if you will, an uncharted island thought to exist only in myth. Wall! There's a wall ahead! That's where I'll shoot my picture. It's deserted. Of course it's deserted. Place is a ruin. Behind the wall! You saw something. What took her, Carl? If you haven't found her in 24 hours, there'll be nothing left to find. Podcast as a Symbol is a production of the We Can Make This Work Probably Podcast Network. Find more of our shows at probablywork.com and learn how to contribute to future episodes of Podcast as a Symbol by looking us up on Twitter and Instagram at Cast as a Symbol or joining our Discord. The link is in the show notes. Submissions are always open. Thank you to everyone who's able to contribute to this episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to where you can find them all online. Thank you. Oh, God, please, thank you.
Music produced by Deft Stroke Sound. Opening narration written by Eric Slater and performed by Justin Aki. This episode was edited by Eric Slater. This has been a presentation of the We Can Make This Work Probably Network. Follow us on Twitter at ProbablyWork for more of our questionable content. Also, we have a website called ProbablyWork.com. Eric, you better appreciate this crap, man. I watched like a two-hour and 40-minute piece of shit just to record this for you. Matthew Broderick, uh, also known as Nick Tatanopoulos, Tardigrade, Tatanopoulos, Tattoo Necrosis, Tata Metropolis? Tataopolis, that's it, that's it. Anywho, Nick Tartakowski. Everything humanity does. So the military sets up in dirt. Yeah, that the gods and um uh we see like things are getting dire inside madison square garden and, and jean Reno gives nick a phone and tells him to tell the military to bomb their location um he and the french guys are gonna hold off you know if whatever they can uh, actually i think the french guys are dead at this point anyway he says uh you know call the military tell him to blow this place up and nick can't get through either on the phone he has or a pay phone no 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 that's it yeah the french guys are still alive so jean tells him they practically nuked that station yeah so Nick goes, and for some reason, uh, eh, excuse me, my cat's being a dickhead. Kujira. Kujira. <laughs>